Geno Smith capped off a storybook season by making even more history for the Seahawks on Thursday night. But did a couple of his teammates get snubbed at NFL honors? I'll be breaking it all down in our latest Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Happy Friday to all of our listeners. And as always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Geno Smith capping off a storybook season with a bit of history. We'll be looking at a few teammates that might have got snubbed to NFL honors last night as well. And for Fan Fiction Friday, maybe giving John Schneider a few mulligans for a few roster decisions over the past five seasons. Looking forward to seeing what our listeners think as far as players they'd like to see back in 2023. And going to be continuing our free agent Friday segment, looking at four free agents from the AFC North division that may pique the interest of the Seahawks as we head closer to the start of the new league year. This Blue Friday episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the NFL. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on today to get started. Now for your lead story here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Don't call it a comeback. Geno Smith making history to cap off a storybook revival season for the Seahawks, becoming the first player in franchise history to win the NFL Comeback Player of the Year Award at the NFL Honors Banquet on Thursday night. And certainly he was deserving. You look at the stats, 30 touchdown passes, 31 total touchdowns, led the NFL with a 69.8% completion percentage, just a hair below 70%, which has not been done very many times for a full season in NFL history. Was in the top six in passer rating, broke Russell Wilson's single season franchise record for passing yards. Again, it was a storybook season for Geno Smith. And there's been critics out there that have looked at what he did this season and they've wondered, you know, what did he really come back from? Because typically this award goes to players who are coming off of injury. But in the case of Geno Smith, he absolutely deserved this award. And you wonder what he came back from. Let's just look at his career path. He was a second round pick out of West Virginia for the New York Jets. And then in his third season in training camp, a teammate punches him and he breaks his jaw. Loses his starting job while he's out to Ryan Fitzpatrick. The Jets win 10 games, almost make the playoffs that year. And then the next season, he gets an opportunity to start, and he tears his ACL in that game, and he misses the rest of the season. Then he's a free agent. So you want to talk about a player that has had a ton of adversity in terms of injuries, some bad luck, some misfortune thrown in there, and also the fact that he then would spend the next seven seasons as a backup with three different organizations, including behind Russell Wilson with the Seahawks, he came back from quarterback purgatory, and not a lot of quarterbacks last as backups for seven seasons. And Geno Smith has talked about that some earlier in the year when he's been talking to reporters that, you know, he could easily be out of the league. And a lot of quarterbacks in his circumstances, they have a tough time finding a job in the NFL, even with all the clipboard holders and Microsoft Surface holders, I guess, in 2023 that are out there that shuffle around teams. 
it's pretty easy for quarterbacks to shuffle out of the National Football League, especially one like Geno Smith, who really struggled his first couple years in the league. And yet he comes to an offense with Shane Waldron, the weapons they've got here in Seattle, where he is playing with the utmost confidence and he has full command of the scheme, getting the football to his playmakers. At times this year had a running game, and at times he didn't still manage to put up really efficient numbers, even though he wasn't quite as good in the last month and a half. There were some other circumstances I think impacted his play. But anyone questioning whether or not Geno Smith deserves this award, this to me is a career comeback for one season. Because think about all of the adversity and the number of years where Geno Smith was just biding his time, waiting for an opportunity that, quite frankly, regardless of whatever he has said publicly, you didn't know if you were going to get that chance to start again in the NFL. Typically, when guys get an opportunity early in their career, most of the time they don't get that second chance that Geno Smith did this year for the Seahawks, and he fully sees that opportunity. And now this is another award that he can put on his resume. He got his first Pro Bowl this season. He was a player of the week candidate earlier in the season. So he's been able to stock up that resume as he prepares to continue negotiating a contract, hoping to be back with the Seahawks. We'll see what the price range ends up being. Most of the reports and speculation out there are 30 plus million per year. Maybe the Seahawks franchise tag him at $32.4 million, fully guaranteed for 2023. But they're going to be aiming to get something done to have him back next season with the way that he played, the way that he emerged as a leader in the locker room, the respect he's got from his teammates. He absolutely deserved this award. And no offense to Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley, the two other players that finished in the top three, they were coming back from injuries at a position that's very difficult to stay healthy, had really good seasons. Chris Godwin with the Buccaneers, another player that I thought deserved to be thrown into this discussion. But Geno Smith absolutely deserved this award because he came back from way more than just being a backup the last seven seasons. It has been a long road to this point. As far as two other players that were up for awards for the Seahawks yesterday, there's going to be plenty of debate out there with the rookie of the year selections. Ken Walker III, I know there were plenty of fans that were sending me tweets last night on social media. How can Ken Walker III have the most first place votes but not win the award? Well, the NFL changed the way that AP voters were voting this year. They were allowed to select first through fifth place with all of these awards. And so you had to account for second place votes, third place votes, and first place votes got five points. Second place votes got three. Unfortunately, Garrett Wilson from the Jets dominated the second place votes. And so when you added all the points together, even though Ken Walker III had more first place votes, Garrett Wilson ended up getting more points. So he won Offensive Rookie of the Year, and the Jets swept with Sauce Gardner winning Defensive Rookie of the Year. I predicted that that's exactly how it was going to play out the last couple of times that we broke it down in the show. He just had too many statistics that you could not overlook in terms of the passer rating, the completion percentage against, the number of pass breakups that he had, only gave up one touchdown. Tariq Woolen had a fantastic season. I am surprised, though, that he only got one first-place vote and really was a distant third place behind Aiden Hutchinson, who really came on the last month or so of the season to position himself to contend for this award. He finished in second place for the Lions, so still a very impressive season. I don't think Woolen gets snubbed just because of the way that the other two players that were competing against him finished the year. Hutchinson had almost double-digit sacks, and he had three interceptions. And Gardner, as I mentioned, just the, the numbers that he had shutting down really good receivers week in, week out. 
I have no argument with that one. As for the offensive rookie of the year, Garrett Wilson did put up over 1,100 receiving yards with the quarterbacks that the Jets threw out there this year, which is incredibly impressive. But this is the one that I think you can look at and say there's a snub there because Ken Walker III wasn't even a starter until the fifth game of the season for the Seahawks. Actually, the sixth game, fifth game, he played most of it because Rashad Penny got hurt in that game. And he still ran for over a thousand yards. He had nine touchdowns behind an offensive line that at times this year was suspect in the run game. I think that's just as impressive as what Garrett Wilson was doing with the quarterbacks that he had. So to me, the the touchdown discrepancy and the fact that Garrett Wilson played the entire season as a starter and Ken Walker III did not, and he missed a game thrown in there too. I think there were some circumstances there that if I had a vote for the Associated Press, I would have picked Ken Walker III to win that. But Garrett Wilson still had a very good season, so you're not going to get gripes from me. That would just be the one I think you can make more arguments that certainly it looks like the Seahawks may have got snubbed and they still have never had an AP Rookie of the Year winner on offense or defense in the entire existence of their franchise dating back to 1976. They've come really close. They've had some finalists, but still have yet to win one of those awards, even after last night with two candidates. And so They'll have to hope next year that they can hit on a couple of these draft picks they have early, and maybe one of those players can break that streak and they can finally get that first Rookie of the Year honor in NFL Honors next February. Coming up next, it's Fan Fiction Friday here on the Locked on Seahawks podcast. I'm going to pose a question. Our listeners have a number of interesting responses. Looking at some roster construction-related issues from the past, maybe giving John Schneider a few mulligans here on today's show. We'll get to those next here on the Locked on Seahawks podcast. Valentine's Day is coming up, which means romance is in the air more than usual. I don't need to tell all you lovebirds out there, you probably had your date plans on the calendar for weeks. I know that I have. But have you found the perfect Valentine's Day gift yet? Whether you're celebrating this day of romance or whether you're ready to pop the question, you can find jewelry as unique as she is with the modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. At BlueNile.com, you can find the perfect piece of jewelry for life special moments or even create the custom engagement ring of her dreams. They offer simple online tools that let you choose the diamond shape, the size, the clarity, as well as the setting style. Blue Nile's bench jewelers will then handcraft that perfect piece to your specifications, and they provide expert guidance, in-depth educational materials, and unique online tools that place you in control so you can forget the usual hassles of jewelry shopping process and focus on the romance. Blue Nile's diamond price guarantee allows you to compare a competitor's diamond against one of theirs, and Blue Nile can even meet or beat their price. Every order is insured and arrives quickly in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shipping is free, and so are the returns. Right now, you can save up to 50% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com for up to 50% off. BlueNile.com. This episode is also brought your way by FanDuel. The only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sports book. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because FanDuel is the number one sports book in America. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel now so you can bet on Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. That's what I'm looking forward to in this game. I'm leaning towards taking a big swing with Travis Kelsey as my MVP pick at plus 1,200. If you're like me and think that the sportsbook is safe, 
easy to use. And best of all, you get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether this is your first time listening to the Locked on Seahawks podcast or you are a diehard regular listener. We greatly appreciate all of you supporting our podcast. It's Fan Fiction Friday. We started this program a few weeks ago. We've had some really fun questions that we posed to our listeners and Today was one that was inspired a bit by some of the questions that I consistently get asked on social media when we get to the offseason. What are some moves that you look back upon with John Schneider and think he'd like a mulligan or he would like a do-over with? And that got me thinking the perfect question for today's Fan Fiction Friday. So without further ado, here we go. Here is the question that I posed on social media today. Pick one player. Seattle released, traded, or allowed to walk in free agency to bring back for 2023. And there were only a couple of rules here. The move must have happened in the past five seasons, 2018 to 2022. I will admit I got a little bit lenient with this one. There were a few moves from 2017 that were thrown out there. I may talk about one or two of those on this. And salary cap does not matter for the simulation. I wanted to make it easy. You can play with monopoly money. But This limits the trades and different stuff like that. So, for example, a lot of people were saying the Jamal Adams trade. Well, that doesn't really fit what we're looking at. We're looking at players that were released, traded away, or they were allowed to walk in free agency. We may have another time that we can talk trades where players are brought in. But for this particular instance, it's players that John Schneider allowed to leave in some capacity, whether he made the decision to trade them, release them, Uh, moves of that nature. So without further ado, let's get to our responses from our listeners. We had some really interesting ones. The first one here coming from Tom Biddick. He says, Jaron Reed, for goodness sake, and make sure to have plenty of exclamation points there. Now, Jaron Reed had a really interesting career in Seattle. The six seasons that he was with the Seahawks had a breakthrough third season where he had double digit sacks and he joined just Cortez Kennedy and John Randall as the third defensive tackle in franchise history to hit double digit sacks. So that was a historic season for him, at least in Seahawks lore. And then he got suspended, was not as productive, had six and a half sacks in his final season with the team. And then they cut him. And that was a move that many questioned at the time. But you look at the last two seasons, Jaron Reed has two and a half sacks in each of the last two years with the Chiefs and the Packers, even though he's been a full-time starter. He has had double-digit quarterback hits. The Seahawks would have liked to have that kind of value in their interior defensive line. At the same time, I don't know that he would have moved the needle, especially when he was going to be due well north of $10 million in the 2021 season. So I don't know if that's a move necessarily that hasn't worked out for John Schneider, but certainly it could be an instance where He was more productive in their defensive scheme, and maybe he could have worked to their 3-4, but I think it would have been kind of an odd fit, just like Puna Ford, some of the other players Seattle had on their roster this year. The next one here, this is much more recent, coming from Don Middaw III. If we still had Bobby Wagner, we might have gotten a home home game in the playoffs. I don't know if I would go that far, even though Bobby Wagner had a really good season for the Rams. And I am on the side of the equation that he bounced back some. I know that there are some people out there that scoff the idea that he was a second team all pro and they say, oh, it's only because the Rams used him a certain way. Well, 
give their coaching staff some credit. They figured out how to maximize his skill set at an advancing age for an NFL linebacker, and he still looks like he's a fluid enough athlete. I do see some concerns in coverage, so I don't know necessarily that he would have moved the needle as much as some fans think at the linebacker position this year, especially for the amount of money that the Seahawks were going to have to pay him and the final couple seasons of his contract. And so I understood the move at the time from a cap perspective, and he was a player that I thought showed signs of decline the season before, and maybe Seattle can't mask him the way that the Rams were able to do this year on their defense. And the Rams defense wasn't necessarily great all year long either. So that one is certainly an interesting one to look at because he did have a second team all pro season had six sacks they used him in some interesting ways in LA but I don't know if it necessarily would have improved the Seahawks record that much maybe they win another game or two with Bobby Wagner out there but I don't think that's necessarily guaranteed our next one here coming from Alex Hernandez going back to that 2018 group we remember Jaron Reed had that big season and Frank Clark also had 13 and a half sacks that year and Alex Hernandez says the Frank Clark trade was really bad mainly because they drafted LJ Collier with the pick they got back wish we could have found a way to keep him I think this is one of those moves that's probably one of the more regrettable ones for John Schneider at the same time they also were able to use one of their other first-round picks to trade down a couple times. And we know a certain player named DK Metcalf that they were able to get by moving up with some of the picks they acquired through those trade downs. And so there's always more to it when we're talking about draft day-related trades, especially with somebody like John Schneider. So this is one, if you're just looking at the trade Collier being picked for the selection they got from the Chiefs, then obviously it was a very one-sided deal. But the Seahawks were also cap-strapped strapped and the money that Frank Clark was going to want. He has not had more than six sacks in a season in any of the last three years. He's been fairly productive, but he hasn't been an elite pass rusher in the playoffs. He has been though. So that makes him worth the money to the Kansas City Chiefs. 10 and a half sacks in 11 playoff games for the Chiefs. He has been historically good getting after the quarterback in playoff games. Our next one here, this is where I bent the rules a little bit just because I thought it was a really good one. Mark Hawk, 3366 on YouTube, letting go of Mark Glowinski for Mike Upati. Now, I thought Upati played fairly well for the Seahawks in the two seasons he was with the team for the most part, especially in the run game. He brought some tenacity up front but he's also a player that had major durability concerns throughout his career. He had trouble staying healthy. He missed playoff games when the Seahawks absolutely needed him out there. And so you could make the argument, Mark Glowinski, who the last five seasons, he hasn't been great by any means, but he has been a solid starter for the Colts in this past season for the Giants. He's consistently gotten decent marks from pro football focus. He is a player that I could not understand why the Seahawks tried to sneak him out of the practice squad because he was a player who got some good buzz in the pre-draft process. Other teams were interested in him. I just didn't feel like he got a fair shake. So maybe they don't have to trade for Gabe Jackson down the road and they're able to do some other stuff with their draft capital. Who knows? But this is one that for me personally would be high on the list because I think glowinski has been a solid starting guard for the last five years and certainly would have been an upgrade over what Seattle has had out there at times during that last five seasons. And then our next one here, going with a much more recent one, Chase Rydell says DJ Reed. Mike Jackson wasn't bad, but Reed and Woolen would have been so good. And you know, this is one that you can certainly look at and you can contemplate, well, maybe, maybe this is one the Seahawks missed on this past offseason. But 
again, for this simulation, I wasn't including cap space. This was all about just which player would you like to bring back for 2023? I think that he's a better player than Mike Jackson, but I don't know that he is a better player in terms of the salary he's making. 11 plus million dollars per year. Mike Jackson is making peanuts as a player that got released originally by the Dallas Cowboys as a fifth round pick. I mean, this is a player that's an exclusive rights free agent that you're not going to have to pay very much money to. And so those are things that teams have to consider. I don't know that the drop off from Reed to Jackson is big enough where you can justify paying that money. And quite frankly, the Seahawks wouldn't be able to go out and make some of the other moves that they made, but taking money out of the equation, Reed certainly is a better player. And he had a very good first season with the New York jets. It would be fun to see what he and Tariq Woolen could have done together in that second day for the Seahawks this year. We've got a couple more. This was maybe the biggest surprise one for me. And this one's coming from aptly named. I hate it here. They want Trey. David Moore, in my opinion, he was so similar to Tyler Lockett and was really good in Seattle, especially catching the deep ball. So I will say this. I don't think that Tyler Lockett would be my comp necessarily in all regards. I don't think that he was the route runner. I don't think that he had necessarily the quickness in and out of his breaks, but the ability to win downfield, yes, absolutely. David Moore made some spectacular catches on deep balls from Russell Wilson during his four seasons with the Seahawks. That being said, this is one that I think John Schneider, if you asked him about this is a regrettable decision, he would be like, the guy doesn't have a single catch the last two years. He didn't play for anybody this year. So Seattle must have been on to something there. He played for a couple of teams in 2021, but only was a special teams player, did not catch any passes. Then this year, again, was not on a roster, did not play in any games. So that one looks like a decision John Schneider made that has worked out pretty well for the Seahawks, even though they're still searching for that upgrade at the number three wide receiver spot and the last one here coming from it tolls for thee and this is one that's going to spike some controversy just because i have found this to be the most polarizing player that the seahawks have had on the roster in the last five years and that's jadevian Clowney. in this response on youtube says Clowney so dominant and that was true at times i'm thinking about that monday night game against the san francisco 49ers i did a film breakdown on that game and he was utterly dominant off the edge against the run. He got after Jimmy Garoppolo, had a couple of big plays. Uh, obviously, had a touchdown in that game as well. Uh, Jadevin Clowney was a player, and he's been this way his entire career. When he is on and he is playing with maximum effort, he's healthy. He can be that dominant force that is unblockable. But it's been so hit and miss in his career, and then he's had the injuries thrown in there. He had no sacks in 2020 for the Tennessee Titans, had nine sacks in 2021, had a nice bounce back year, and then this year only two sacks for the Cleveland Browns. He's also had some off-field stuff he's been dealing with, like trying to force his way out. At least that's what the report was, trying to force himself out of action for the Cleveland Browns late in the season, and they just sent him home for the last couple of games. So that certainly doesn't look good for him. So that might be another one, considering the price tag that was being thrown around, what they would have to pay Jadevian Clowney. They paid him a multi-year deal with his injury history, his inconsistent performance as a pass rusher. Even though Seattle hasn't necessarily found replacements for most of their season since, Nuosu being the exception to that rule, this is one for the cost. So probably ended up being fairly smart for the Seahawks to move on in hindsight. Coming up next, going to be moving towards current free agency, free agent frenzy with the AFC North. I'll be looking at a player from each of the four teams in that division that may pique the interest of the Seahawks 
heading towards the start of the league year. We'll get to those here in a moment on our Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by TurboTax. Go to TurboTax and don't do your taxes. Meet with an expert who will do them for you. TurboTax experts can relieve you from the stress of taxes and file for you so you can do not taxes. Show your eyes things that are not taxes. Unpack a moving box of not taxes. Taste not taxes. Sing not taxes a lullaby. Hope not taxes sleeps through the night. Grab a saddle and ride not taxes into the sunset. With TurboTax, an expert will do your taxes from start to finish, ensuring your taxes are done right, guaranteed, so you can relax. Feels good to be done with your taxes, doesn't it? Come to TurboTax and don't do your taxes. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. Intuit TurboTax, full service products only. Video meeting while expert does your taxes required. See guaranteed details at TurboTax.com guarantees. You're listening to Blue Friday here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This is your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast to get your daily conversations on the biggest NFL stories, in-depth analysis, and the biggest games with NFL key predictions every Friday and Monday. Local insiders cover the weekend with game-to-game episodes. Locked On NFL is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Continuing our free agent frenzy series, normally I would have my co-host Nick Lee for this segment and the two of us would each pick a player from each team in our respective division but Nick joined the show yesterday uh, to interview DJ Dallas we'll have him back on the show next week I'm going to cover the AFC North riding solo today and again this is how we do this every team in the division pick one player that's going to be a free agent on March 15th that would peak interest for the Seahawks and would be a good fit based on positional needs. And some teams are easier than others when it comes to trying to pick players. Starting here with the AFC North, this one is going to make our listeners that have been paying attention the last five or six minutes, this one's going to make you scratch your head a little bit because of some of the negative things that I just said. But hear me out. Our first one here, the Cleveland Browns. I have Jadevian Clowney down as my priority free agent. And hear me out here. As I mentioned just a moment ago, only two sacks last season. He had zero sacks in 2020. He has been a very up and down pass rusher his entire career, at least in terms of sacks. The year he was with Seattle, he had only three, but he had a lot of pressures and he was a very disruptive player. And we know he was a great run defender. I looked at some film for him this year. And I still see a player, maybe he's not the guy that everybody thought he was going to be as the number one overall pick. I don't think he's come to those expectations. And the injuries that he's had certainly have not helped that situation. But he can still be a capable game wrecker off the edge. He is an outstanding run defender. We know the Seahawks, that was their deal this year on defense. Edge played in the 3-4 defense earlier in his career with the Houston Texans, and you could move him around. He's still only going to be 30 years old. And so I look at him as a player with what the Seahawks need right now at the edge. They've got a number of guys that can pin their ears back, are athletic enough to get after the quarterback, but they could use another physical edge setter that can really help defending the run. And Clowney, I think, in that kind of a situation, especially if they're able to add a really good defensive tackle that can get after the quarterback in the draft, that fits their scheme, I still think Clowney can be a very productive player. He had 29 pressures for the Browns last year. I know that he ended the season on a sour note in Cleveland, but the Seahawks had good experiences with him 
the coaching staff had a good rapport with him. And I think that the cost would be right in the wheelhouse where Seattle could actually make this work. And so I'm looking at a one-year deal because of his injury history. You're not looking for him to come in and be superhero off the edge anymore. You don't need to make this addition for him to be an all-pro candidate, but he's a guy with his run defense that can certainly improve your defense as a whole. That was an area that was a major problem for the Seahawks. And then he can give you whatever the pass rush ends up being for him. And you know what? He's kind of been an on and off type guy. He didn't have many sacks last year. Maybe next season he'll come out with seven or eight, which would be a huge boost to Seattle's defensive line. Moving to Pittsburgh now, this is one that is truly a projection-based signing, and that is Devin Bush. The Seahawks have some question marks at the linebacker position with Jordan Brooks potentially missing a large chunk of 2023 coming back from a torn ACL. Cody Barton's going to be a free agent on March 15th. It remains to be seen if the Seahawks are going to bring him back. Now, there are a number of red marks here when I look at Devin Bush. Pittsburgh doesn't necessarily have a lot of guys that look like enticing free agent additions, but Bush is only 24 years old. And even though he's 5'11", 234 pounds, this is not a big thumping linebacker. He's had some issues getting off blocks. He had a torn ACL himself a couple of years ago, but he came back this year, played in most of the games for the Steelers, put up decent numbers. Not a guy that's going to score well with pro football focus, but he is still a very good athlete, an elite athlete, only 24 years old, can fly all over the place. And it feels like to me, this could be a player that just going to a different team, it just hasn't worked for him in Pittsburgh for whatever reason. Injuries didn't help the situation, but him being only 24 years old, the pedigree coming from Michigan, a dynamic playmaker at the college level in the Big Ten, I still think that there is a very high ceiling for this kid. And I think because of the fact he hasn't been great at Pittsburgh and he's had some injuries, if the Steelers don't make him a top priority to re-sign, which it remains to be seen what they're going to do on that front. But if he hits the market, I don't think this is a guy that's going to get a lot of guaranteed money. And I think he's going to get short-term deals. That would be a player that makes a lot of sense for the Seahawks. And if he ends up hitting, then you can extend him or you can trade them. There's a number of different things you can do here, but I think this is a flyer that would be worth taking for an intriguing young player that's got a lot of athletic tools and maybe a change of scenery can unearth some of that potential that he has not been able to fulfill in Pittsburgh. Moving on the division to Baltimore now, finally getting to the offensive line, a guy that is aptly named Ben Powers, a 338-pound guard. Interestingly enough, he has been better in pass protection than run blocking, at least if you look at pro football focus grades. I think he's a mauler. He can get after it. He's been very good in pass protection, though. Not a guy that gives up a lot of sacks. He is a monster against bull rushes. Very difficult to push him back. And I think he's a surprisingly nimble uh, athlete for a player of his size. He's been a quality starter for the Baltimore Ravens. I don't know if Baltimore is going to let him hit the free agent market, but they have let some guys become free agents the last few years and teams have paid money. This would be an expensive investment for a still very young lineman that's now going to be entering his fifth year in the league. With him being almost 340 pounds, maybe Seattle's looking for smaller, more agile linemen to fit Andy Dickerson and Shane Waldron's scheme. But they did have Damian Lewis and Gabe Jackson out there last year, big body guards, and they need some physicality in this interior offensive line. So I think Ben Powers, this would be a player that would be on my short list in terms of I'm willing to make a major financial investment in the middle of my offensive line and go out and get this guy. He's an upgrade over Gabe Jackson at this point in his career, and he's going to bring physicality. He's going to bring a really good pass 
protector that's got a nice lengthy run here of being quality in that regard, protecting his quarterback. And so I think Ben Powers would be a player that would make a lot of sense for the Seahawks. Again, I don't know if he hits the free agent market, but he is the player that immediately jumped out to me for Baltimore's pending free agents. They would check off a need. He's young and still has some untapped potential, especially in the run game. And closing things off, the Cincinnati Bengals, I've talked about a few players from their team already during our offseason my number one target for the Bengals is not Samaj P. Ryan, even though I have him here on the graphic and I'm going to talk about him. Jermaine Pratt, their 250-pound linebacker, I have talked about extensively a couple of other shows. I just don't know that the Bengals are going to let him hit free agency. And even if they do, I think it's going to be expensive to sign him. And they're looking at Jordan Brooks potentially getting a contract. P. Ryan is a player, though, that you're not going to have to break the bank to bring in. He's not going to be a starting running back. And here's the reason why I think he makes a ton of sense for the Seahawks. He's kind of that middle-class player that I don't think Cincinnati's going to be able to bring back a lot of those guys because they've got several big contracts coming up. But he's a 235-pound running back that can excel between the tackles. I felt like that was something that was missing to complement Ken Walker III this past season. I think with DJ Dallas as well, those three would be really fun. If you draft or bring back Rashad Penny, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do here. But he's also a very good pass protector, P. Ryan is. He has good receiving numbers, had four receiving touchdowns this year for the Bengals. That looks like an upgrade overall as your third down back while also giving you that punch in short yardage situations. And I don't think he's going to be overly expensive to sign as a veteran running back that hasn't started many games and has been a backup in Cincinnati. So he's used to that role being a third down guy. I think he would make a lot of sense for the Seahawks if they want to go the free agent route with running backs. They may just want to draft one because this is a really good running back class. But if they're wanting to hit other positions in April, P. Ryan would be a player at that cost that would make a lot of sense for the Seahawks to bring in behind Ken Walker III and DJ Dallas. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks. We're on all major podcast platforms and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on Monday, I'll be rejoined by Rob Rang. The two of us will have our latest installment of Mock Draft Monday. I'm going to be grading out his Mock Draft this time around, so that should be a lot of fun. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Go Hawks.